and welcome to episode 9 of Kneeling Not Standing. I am delighted to be joined by former Republic of Ireland International and several other clubs including Blackburn, Burnley, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Drogheda, St. Pat's, uh, Scunthorpe I think as well and I don't know if I've missed anyone on that list. Barnsley. Barnsley. So yeah, you've obviously been to a fair number of clubs, all seem to be Northern England. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll come to that I suppose. Um, but thanks for joining me, thanks for coming here. Anytime. Yeah, um, we'll get into it. So tell us about, I suppose, your upbringing and your kind of early days leading into your football career and kind of when you started getting noticed and stuff like that. Uh, well, I grew up in the flats in uh, in Sheridan Street. They obviously, they got knocked down, so we got rehoused over in the East Wall. Then my mother fell pregnant. It was me and Martin, my older brother. My mother fell pregnant again with Nikita, so we ended up moving back to Sheridan Street and... Yeah, I was there for a couple of years, although, you know, I, I'm from Sherry Street, I was raised in Sherry Street, I spent an awful lot of time in Rings End, down with my nanny as well, so it's sort of half and half in Rings End, half in Sherry Street, but I was one of these loner kids, you know, you'd see me in a schoolyard by myself just kicking a ball off a wall, but, you know, always enjoying myself, but mostly by myself, just had a football, just loved playing football, and probably around the age of 11, 12, I started to get really serious, people started noticing me, and went on trial to Celtic and Celtic nearly became the actual the club that I I, uh, I nearly signed for but ended up at Blackburn yeah so about 12 13 start getting really serious into it yeah just off air we you, you spoke to me about being over in Arsenal um, for periods um, that obviously didn't work out for you you were unwell but you, you were just you know describing some of the players at that time who were part of the Invincibles like you, you bumped into the likes of like Dennis Bergkamp and Sol Campbell and so, what was that like because at 13, 14, you're growing up and these lads are winning Premier Leagues, winning everything, you know. Yeah, well, I remember when, when Saul Campbell walked in, I was in the physio room and Saul Campbell walked in, I just remember, you know, looking at the size of the man and thinking, like, oh, I was a scrawny, probably 14-year-old youngfellow from Dublin at the time and I was looking at me and looking at him and thinking, you know, I'm, ne- I'm never going to get to that size, I'm never going to be able to compete against a man like that, but... You know, you, you eventually hit the gym, you get bigger, you get stronger. And I think Saul, Saul Campbell was probably bigger than any striker at that, at that time. It was a different game back then. But, yeah, it was it was great too because I was an Arsenal fan and I, I loved Freddie Lundberg, I loved Perez. I remember uh, seeing Ashley Cole as well. And, you know, although the Arsenal trial didn't go too well for me, it was, it was just an eye-opening experience. And, yeah, seeing some superstars, it just made me want to, you know, make that leap myself. Yeah, because like the, they're, I suppose, the pinnacle at that mm. point because they were so good. And obviously, I, I think they probably were the Invincibles in around that time. Yeah, uh, maybe they were going then, on yeah. to be. Um, but yeah, what a team. And obviously, they put up with the great Man United sides. And they were the two, you know, to beat at the time. But I suppose, how's, how did the, you said it was Celtic, that fell through. You, you chose Blackburn. What was the reason behind that? Would the family uh, have a, a say in that? Or? Uh, well, the family had a big say in everything, everything I did. In, in terms of picking a club, um, I really like Celtic. Darden O'Dea was there. There was a whole host of Irish lads. Uh, Aidan McGeady was there as well. And Aidan was a winger that I, I looked at in training and I, I thought, like, this boy is unbelievable. And I was a young kid. Aidan was outstanding. And looking at him in training, Darden O'Dea, they made me feel really at home and really welcome. And, you know, with Celtic, they loved the Irish players as well. So I felt really at home there. But... I, I actually I got to Parkhead I had to stay the, my mother and father come over and we had the, the contract in front of me and it was literally I wanted to stay in the digs with Darren O'Dea you know I was quite a shy young like I said a bit of a loner when I was younger 
bit socially awkward as well. So the the one thing the the deal hinged on was me being in the digs with Darren O'Dea and all the other Irish lads and they sort of said, Oh listen, there's somebody there but in six months time his contract runs out and you'll be going in and it literally hinged on that and I said I wasn't happy and Blackburn then heard that what had gone on and I think the YTS at the time was £90 a week, but in Scotland I was going to be earning £300 a week because there's no YTS. So Blackburn jumped me up to you know what I would have been earning in Scotland. So they, they sort of matched the payments. And my ma was very happy with Blackburn because Blackburn was like Emmerdale Farm. It was very, very hard to get in trouble. There was cows and sheep. and I was just living out in the sticks. And, in Lancashire, yeah. Yeah, my ma was delighted. So she was like, you won't get in trouble there. I, I eventually proved that wrong, but... Yeah, so we we signed for Blackburn in the hope that I wouldn't get in get in too much trouble over there. Yeah, I suppose at that time Blackburn, Damien Duff was there. Yeah, Duff was a big a big part of it as well. It was it was strange because this is after the O two World Cup, then is it? Yeah, I think this. I think I went over in about two thousand and five, two thousand and six. It was in around then, you know, the the amount of alcohol passed through my system. Since I think then. he would have. I think he was at Chelsea at that point, but obviously when you originally went over, he would have been there. Yeah, I th- I I think I went. I think I went the seventh of July in around the start of July, and I think at the start of the season, saying around August, he was gone. He was gone to Chelsea, and I think Graeme Souness wasn't long going to Newcastle after that as well. Yeah. So the two reasons I signed was Graeme Souness and Damien Duff, and within a month of me signing, they were gone out of the club. So it just opened me eyes to what football was really like. And thankfully, when Mark Hughes came in, he liked me as well. So there was there was no real issue anyway. So. They, but they did. They looked after kind of Jeff Kennan was there for a number of years as well. He was an Irish international, um, and they had a couple of other Irish internationals over the years as well. Yeah, we, well, yeah. Blackburn did have a, a couple of decent young Irish players, but there was there was always this thing that when Sunes was in charge, that the only Irish player that ever played for Sunes was Damien Duff at Blackburn. So there was sort of this thing that you won't get into the the Blackburn team because you're Irish unless. Your Damien Duff, but I I think that was just a myth, you know. I know we brought Barry Ferguson down, Lorenzo Amaru, so a couple more from Rangers, but they were good, good players. I don't think it was anything to do with an alliance with, with any sort of any Rangers or Celtic connection. It was just these are good players. Let's get them down to the Premier League, and yeah, that that Blackburn team at the time was was excellent. There was a big, big drinking culture in it, but there were some outstanding players as well. Mm, they had a good European run as well um, under Sunes. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we we got to. I can't remember where we got to, but I remember getting traced around Europe, and you know, I never actually made the squad. I was in the squad, but didn't make the bench. So you they're bringing just, you around, though. Yeah, yeah, you get you get brought around, and this is at like sixteen, seventeen. So it was more of a you know a pat on the shoulder, saying we think you're decent, you'll be here one day, just give you a little taste of it, and yeah, it, it was excellent, just you know earning your stripes as to become a professional footballer and seeing how lads carry on in the hotels, you know how they look after their bodies and what they eat when they when you're when you're eating in hotels and. You, you start to realise, and even Damien Duff was a big thing for me, how much he loved to sleep, how much sleep and age or recovery. And yeah, you get just into this mindset of just sleeping 24 7. You know, when I'm not training or not playing games, I, I was sleeping, and that was uh, that was largely down to trying to emulate Damien Duff. Mm. I actually spoke with Matt Holland, um, I did a podcast with him, and he was roommates with uh, Duffer for the 2002 World Cup. Yeah. And he said literally that's all he did was sleep the whole time, all he, all he did was sleep. So yeah, honestly, that's it. Yeah, the hotels are so, so boring. You know, you get up, you eat, you do it, you have your cup of coffee, and if you can sleep, you know, your muscles are always aching. You know, it becomes the norm as a footballer that your, your legs are aching, but if you can have an ice bath, get yourself a couple of hours here and there during the day, it really does help. Mm. What was, I suppose, Blackburn like? Because, I, as I said, there's some serious players there. I mean, there's 
Brad Friedling goal. I'm not sure if you were there when like Benny McCarthy. And yeah, Santa Benny Cruz, was there. Yeah. Santa Cruz. Benny Santa Cruz. Bellamy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was some some outstanding huge, players. Huge two players, guys. Like even Bellamy at the time had. I don't think he was hitting his potential. Um, as it, did he come from Newcastle to Blackburn uh, or somewhere in between? Yeah, he went not, to Liverpool I, I, then. I, I, yeah, he went to Liverpool and I think he went to Man City after that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure he really where he's gone from. Yeah. after Blackburn because yeah. he played under Hughes. Yeah, uh, again so. though, looking like I think Hughes got him because of the Welsh connection. They, yeah, they were together. But he got the best album. I did, but he he was a strange character, uh, Craig Bellamy. He really was, but you know, you get I'm a little bit older in the tooth now, and you you think about things that not just footballing, but if I if I had a chance to, to sign Craig Bellamy and have him in my dressing room and knowing how he would interact with other players, players who are maybe not pulling their weight, I'd definitely have him in there. He can be a bit ruthless, a little bit cutthroat, but he'd get the best out of the players in the dressing room. And, you know, watching people like, like him train, and I, I remember him in the gym as well. It's not just on the pitch you see him train, and it's in the gym you see the way he walks on his body. And, you know, he was always so quick, Craig, but he put walking to be quick. It wasn't just God-given. He, he walked at it and... Yeah, like I say, a bit of a bit of a fiery character, but you know, a great footballing person. Sounds a bit like Roy Keane, but anyway. Um... <laughs> well, he, he used to when he when he first came to Blackburn, he used to live in Wales still. So he would fly, he would get a helicopter from Wales and land on one of the pitches, and then come to training. Which was, I don't think Roy would do that sort of okay, stuff. Okay, no, he definitely wouldn't. Yeah, he was a bit. He was, he was one of them sort of characters, but like you said, like playing for Liverpool, Manchester City, a Welsh legend. If if he can't get a helicopter in, who can? Yeah, and obviously he was the start of that kind of Man City revolution yeah. then as well, you know, the, the early days of that. Um, but, like, some of the players, like, I'm still, like, that was a really good Martin Gams Pettis, and I know you were competing with a spot for him in the team at the time as well. Like, there's a really good, strong team there. Like, they were finishing top seven, top eight, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, we had to, we made some really good signings. Like you say, Martin was there. We had Mickey Gray left back, and then Stephen Warner come in. We, we signed Ryan Nelson, who not a lot of people knew yeah, of. Yeah, he went out to be a really good signing. Yeah, I, I remember actually, the, the first time he came, he was on trial and I just happened to be training with the first team. And after training, they said, oh, Keith, can you do a bit of 1v1 stuff with, with Ryan? I was like, yeah, okay, no problem. So it was literally the width of the 18-yard box, a goalkeeper and me against him, 1v1. And, you know, he was, was so intense and I was thinking, geez, he's good. Like, you know, I didn't know where he was coming from and... He he went on to be the captain of the you know Blackburn obviously went to went to play for Spurs as well so he was a really really tough strong good player and brilliant in one v one situations but yeah looking back now I would have been probably seventeen going one v ones with the future captain of the club but at the time you don't realise you're just playing football but yeah it was a uh, some crazy crazy experiences and two guy then like because I watch a lot of those kind of 1 to 11s mm. and people talk about you know best player they've ever faced and loads of people like surprisingly would say uh, actually Mark Noble recently said he was the toughest player to play against because yeah. when he was breaking through at West Ham he played he obviously played uh, Blackburn and he said he made a holy job and made a fool of him yeah. so and Mark Noble has gone to have a really good career like he's just yeah. finished up but for him to even say it like and all the midfielders he would have faced even in recent times, the likes of De Bruyne and and these likes, you know. So for him to say that about two guys, and he's not the only person to say it, so yeah. he must have been unbelievable. Lethal, I, like. He was finishing ability, like we've all seen his uh, he strikes from the edge of the box, from uh, from crosses in. He, he was unbelievable. He probably couldn't run as much when I was there. He was getting a little bit older, but just, you know, he, he was probably one of the last real characters in football. He used to smoke at half time. He used to get coke uh, coca-cola delivered into the canteen that was, that was just for him it was it was hilarious and 
Yeah, like you could see that Mark Hughes, even Graham Sionesta, to a certain point, were, were hovering around him. And as soon as he didn't perform, they were going to nail him with, with the Coca-Cola or nail him because he didn't do as much running. But he always produced, he really did. And like I said, a, a real, real character. But probably in hindsight, me looking at two guys doing the things he was doing probably rubbed off on me in a way they shouldn't have. But, you know, it's, uh, it's that, that's all my fault. You know, it was nothing to do with two guys. It was me misinterpreting things. But... Yeah, a real, real legend and a real character of football. It's somebody I, you know, I have a lot of time for. If I was to bump into him now, I'd, I'd give him a big hug. He was a, yeah, just a nice bloke and, like I say, a world class footballer with very little ego, which is not something you get mm. uh, a lot. And nearly messed up your move to press. You what? And he nearly mo- uh, messed up your move to press. Nearly messed up your move to press. And yeah, I was, uh, I, I, I was doing my medical for Preston, and I, I needed to go and get a scan in Manchester on my back and. Literally, as we're on the motorway, doing 70 miles an hour, two guys drives past, and he said, oh, Keith, what are you, what are you doing? He's, I'm doing my medical now. He said, oh, who for? He's Preston. And he told me that they were shite and I shouldn't sign for them and left me in the car with the physio for the next 45 minute drive. So it was a little bit awkward, but yeah, <laughs> we got there in the end. Yeah, uh, he seemed like a, a bit of crack, to be fair. So talk to me then, because you've got you've, you've said Sunes and Hughes, were you ever making a breakthrough there? I know you went to, there was a loan spell in between there. It might have been two loan spells in between because you think you were there, what, 2006 to 2010, was it? Yeah, uh, I'm, uh, so, uh, yeah the dates are in around there, yeah. We, we'll go with Wikipedia because, like I said, my memories, uh, since all the alcohol is not is not bang on, but, yeah, them them dates would have been in around, right? I was I, I made my first team debut. It was a pre-season game against Grimsby for Mark Hughes, and I, I think I was 15. When I played and yeah, it was it was a strange thing. I, I I actually didn't I didn't break into the the Premier League team until Mar- until Paul Ince got the job. Paul yeah. Ince um, gave me my Premier League debut against Everton. I remember then, that game. That's Arteta scored a free kick from a, an, an angle to the edge of the box almost. I think it was an equaliser. Yeah, well, no, I think we we were losing one nil because I come off the bench and he turned around. He said, "Keith, you're coming on," and I looked behind me for Keith Andrews, and he was like, "No, you." I was like, "Oh, right." And I come on, I, I was up against Phil Neville and I won a free kick and we put the free kick in and we scored. Oh, well then, it must have been 1-0 and then you got the equaliser. Yeah. Was it 1-1 draw? I think it was 2-1. Then Andre Oyer, Oyer, I'm not sure how to say, he said a Dutch Oh, Dutch the fella. fullback, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, the fullback. He scored in the last minute as well. I think we won it 2-1. And I started to got props for, you know, getting the yeah, assist or something. Yeah, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Like that, that's a uh, my Premier League debut at Goodison. You like not a lot uh, and to win it, to win it as well in tough grounds. You know, obviously the uh, Paulins didn't do too well at Blackburn. He ended up getting sacked in around Christmas time. But for me, on a personal note, he trusted me enough because you know I, I travelled everywhere on this under uh, Mark Hughes. Never really got too much of a sniff with him, but. He used to always say defensively, Martin Gams Pedersen was an awful lot better than me and would put in a bigger shift. So I was always playing second fiddle to him. And yeah, Martin was always good for a goal as well. So it was really difficult to try and get past him. Yeah, but like, I think you're probably underselling yourself a little bit there because if you, if you speak to anyone who watched football around us that time or, you know, was grown up around that time, he's known as a legend. Mm-hmm. It might be because he scored a goal. I think he used to always score against United, didn't he? Um, but I think everyone always says like the streets won't forget Martin Gans Pedersen. He's just yeah. one of them players that kind of catches your eye, and, and he's one of those obscure footballers in a way. And I'm not saying he's bad; like he's obscure in a way because he used to score crackers, yeah. and he was a decent player. What people remember him. So I think maybe having him ahead of you was obviously always going to be tough in your from from your point of view. Yeah. Like, you know, 
Well, yeah, he he was on one wing, so even if I thought I'd go over to the other wing and try and get in on the right wing, David Bentley was over there as well. So yeah. he, was he, he was scoring hat tricks against United and everything at the time. I think he got into the English squad. He was people were calling him the next Beckham. So he was pretty much locked down on the right side, and Brett Emerton was the backup for him. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was, and he was a very good player from Australia. Yeah, there were some super players in that team. And, you know, even now when I when I start reeling off the names, I'm thinking, Jesus, I was in amongst all this. And you think, oh, I must have been decent at that age. But, yeah, you know, when you're playing, you're just thinking, this fella's ahead of me and you're, you're in against him. You're not, you're not thinking about he's a legend and, you know, yeah. blah de blah But, you know, it was really good times and it set me up for, you know, what I was going to do in my, in my career. Yeah, you had Juve there as well. I know you're not a big fan of him. I spoke <laughs> about that under the cost. We won't go into him. I... I don't want to give him any airtime, really. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think there's a lot of fans out there for, for Juve, but Juve's a big enough fan of himself, anyway. Yeah, spitting on Celtic fans and stuff. So <laughs> we, won't, we won't really go into that. But uh, I suppose, talk to me, when we... So the, so from Ince, like, um, when he gets sacked, is that when you're getting pulled away from the team? When when did, it, when did you start going out? Or? Uh, well, no, I, I was going out the whole time. Um, His mic is wrecking my head, it keeps falling down. Go on. Like, uh, no, when I, I first got into the team, I, I was drinking from probably about 17 because I, I was living in the digs. No, sorry, I, I bought my first apartment when I was 17. I bought a Range Rover. I moved out of the digs, which was only two minutes away from the training ground. But it was freedom and I had a car and, you know, Facebook was becoming a thing and social media. So, yeah, there was access to, to women from all over the place and... Yeah, it's just uh, the drink really did start to, to come into it, but my career was going up and up. And I think that was, you know, when you're younger, you can hide it, you can get away with it, you can still be physic- have a big physical output when you're out the night before. And yeah, it, I just, you know, sort of got into this trap of drinking, training, drinking, training, drinking, playing. And yeah, I, I never really, uh, like I said, there was a bit of a drinking skill at Blackburn towards the tail end when I came in. And I think I sort of probably carried that on in my own little way. And, yeah, no, I wouldn't say rebel, but you know, just dealing with things in my head in a different way, and it just slipped into the norm, and yeah, wasn't great. Yeah, because like you mentioned, there was there was stuff probably in your in your early days that uh, probably affected that, and you didn't go into it, but you don't have to either here. But that was uh, that seemed to be kind of maybe demons or or whatever that were maybe affecting you, because you, you can see that with some players now. You you kind of feel like oh, if they had got their head together, they. Did I had a decent career because like at the clubs that you played with and we'll come to them like they're pretty big clubs like that if anyone was walk, walking away from football at, at the age you did and they look back and went, I actually played for some pretty decent clubs there and played with some pretty decent players obviously you were an Irish international as well and we'll talk about that too but like you're kind of looking at that and you almost feel sorry in a way and I don't mean that in a condescending way but you almost kind of you wish that there was someone there for you more so that could yeah that could maybe be that sort of support network because I know you said as well was that like you were away from 13 you know your family weren't there they were at home I suppose mobile phones and everything like that were only becoming yeah. really a thing they weren't as big now you can WhatsApp home or, mm. or whatever I think the modern player has it has it a bit better in that sense yeah I think you're, you're spot on for the like I said when I first went to Blackburn I, I lived in a in in a digs with 16 other players and uh, for the I would say the first six months I went in July, for at least the rest of that year, I cried every night to sleep. I remember I had an Usher, an Usher album on my Walkman and I used to just put that into my ears, face the wall and cry and then wake up the next morning and go and train. And 
it was the same thing for about six months. I go, I go and I cry. Or if, if my roommate uh, Frankie Fielding, he was there. I, I go into the bathroom and I cry in there. And like I said, I'd ring my mother. I'd speak to my ma. I wouldn't tell them how I was feeling because I knew if I started uh, telling people how I felt inside and that I was sad and a little bit down, I could easily end up back in Dublin. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to be a footballer. So although I was sad, I still knew there was things I had to do and. Yeah, like I, I can look back on my career and feel a bit down about it, but you know, I think for my mental health, I think it's better to say, you know, with all the stuff that was going on in the backgrounds, I still managed to achieve this rather than saying I only done that and I should have done more because I, I thought that for, for years and years that I should have done more and I should have played more, I should have secured people's futures, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that's really up to me to secure people's futures. If I could have, that would have been brilliant, but I don't think that's something I should put on my own shoulders and. You know, you live and learn, and I think I, I I look at it now as something I survived rather than something I got through, and it was it was really difficult. But I think there's a real need for somebody like me. Just you know, I I don't want that enough of any players. If I can help them, you know, get to grips with life in England, or just help them as a human being, or pick them out of a little bit of depression that they might be heading towards, then I feel like I've done my job. Like I said, I'm not here for any financial help or. You know, any any social media tap on the back. I just want to try and help people because I've been in that situation. Yeah, it's kind of in, in some ways like like gas going in a way. Like his career was so good, but at the end of the day, people look back on on, on how he kind of finished and you know how he kind of went downward. Whereas you obviously didn't do. You said, "Look, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change this, and we, we'll come to that." But I suppose from uh, the point where Sunes leaves and and Hughes leaves. Allardyce comes in is that right where are you at this point in your football career like you 12 appearances uh, I have on Wikipedia yeah. for you at Blackburn so when Ince left were you, you know were you getting into the team when did Allardyce come in uh, Allardyce came in around just after Christmas maybe the January because I remember we we got beat by Wigan around Christmas time I think it was 5-2 we, like, we got properly hammered and we had a Christmas deal in Dublin after and we were all sitting in the dressing room thinking, like, is Paul Ince going to pull the plug on this or what? And he was sitting there for 10 minutes and didn't say a word. And then eventually he looked up and said, I've ran yous, I've give out yous, I've punished yous. Yous might as well go on the piss. So we all packed up and went to Dublin. And by the time we had landed in Dublin, turned the phones back on, Paul Ince had been sacked. So we, we flew back and Allardyce got the job of... Did, was Ince with you when you, when you got the sack? No, no, it was only players. He uh, The staff didn't come, it was just the players. But yeah, it was crazy, crazy time. So he, he got the job around January. I remember he, he put me in. The first game he played me, I remember training on the Friday. And we were playing Liverpool on the Saturday. And he he pulled me and said, Keith, you're going to start on the right wing. And I was like, Jesus, like it's, we're playing Liverpool and Anfield away. Like. And it was the Hillsborough disaster, the anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster, so you knew the atmosphere was going to be huge. Yeah. He played Chris Samba up front. You remember the big yeah, six yeah, foot yeah, four centre half? Forgot, yeah. He played him up front. Him played, and Nelson, me, yeah. Yeah, played him on the uh, me on the right wing with the view that every time I get it, I'll come back on my left foot and cross it to the back post and Samba will be there to win the ball. Uh we tipped off and within ten seconds, we, about twenty seconds, we were one nil down. Torres scored straight away. So, oh, he was unbelievable. Uh, the plan went straight out the window. But on a personal level, I think we, we lost the game 4-0, four, four maybe 4-1. But on a personal level, I think I was 18, 19 playing in the Premier League. I thought I did okay. But 
uh, on the right wing, not really, like, not, I was a left-footed player. Uh, I just remember Allardyce bringing me in and saying, listen, I gave you a chance, you didn't take it. And I was like, it's the Hillsborough disaster. I was playing against the, a Spanish international. Uh, Jose Enrique, was it? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure Aurelio. who it was. Uh, it's probably Jose Enrique. It might have been Enrique, yeah. But I, I just remember saying, like, but he's an international, he's an international. It's the Hillsborough disaster. Xabi Alonso was playing in the middle. Mascherano was there. Was like, Did a And thing. you're saying, this is my chance? And we got beat four, like four nil, and I was playing right wing, and he just, oh, well, you didn't impress me, blah, blah, blah. And me and Allardyce after that, we were actually, we were nice, like we got on off the pitch. He used to call me a pikey. His nickname for me was a pikey, and but I used to call him Plasma Head. So we used to get, we used to just have a bit of banter with each other. But he was actually a real nice bloke. But uh, tactically, we we didn't really get on. You know, he was all about stats and kicking the ball into certain areas. You know, it just didn't. Uh, yeah, percentage. Uh, percentage football would be how it uh, somewhat up. Yeah, got got results though. But I think he, he got over a million pound bonus for keeping Blackburn in the in the league that year. That was the whole incentive of him coming in. And yeah, so he's made a career off that then towards the end. He did it with Everton and Sunderland and a couple yeah. of other clubs. And like I Palace, say, like, so. it's it is it is percentage football. It's probably not great to look at. It's not great to exactly play in, but gets mm. the job done. Well, the Everton fans wanted him out after. They got to a certain point where it was just miserable. Yeah, work. once they get safe, then we're like, yeah, yeah if we yeah, want. Yeah, but yeah. if you want you down there, you know, if you're down there, whatever club you're in, and Allardyce comes in the door, you're thinking we have half a chance of staying up yeah. here. Just he was, he, look, he's a he's a good record. I think he only went down with one team. It was West Brom. I think uh, West Brom uh, yeah. The other the other year. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, you were kind of having. I suppose back and forth with him was he he, he wasn't really giving you a chance. He, at this stage, you must have been going like. What am, I, what am I doing here? Yeah, Maybe. well, I was look. I, I remember uh, the the one big turning point was after we stayed up that year, we went to we went to Austria in pre season, and we had a like a, it was a golf a golf fella, but he was a like a psychotherapist. So we wanted to get into oh, yeah. the players' heads, and nobody would talk to him because he was employed by Blackburn. So whatever you say to him is going to go back to the manager. So nobody would speak to him. Obviously, then the manager got the hump. Somebody has to speak to him. Well, who's the youngest? I'm the youngest. So, Keith, you go and speak to the boy. So, I spoke to him. I, I relayed everything. So he was asking questions like, why aren't you in the team? Blah, blah, blah. So, I, I answered him. I said, oh, well, Martin is, you know, a long throw and he's a bit better defensively. And it all got relayed back to Allardyce. And by the time we had left Austria and got back to Manchester, I went in the next morning and I was told, you're going along to Sheffield United. And there was no ifs or buts or if you want, it was, you're going to Sheffield United. And that was it. I remember when he said to me, you're, you're going to go to Sheffield United. And I told him I don't want to. And he said, no, it, that's not what I asked you. You're, you're going to Sheffield United because him and Kevin Blackwell were really close friends. So like, it wasn't a bad move. I played I played a bit of football at Sheffield United, so I was happy. But yeah, I, did, I didn't get much of a choice in it. Yeah, how was, how was that? Because um, you're going somewhere... Again, you probably don't. I don't know with Sheffield United again. They're they're quite good for having Irish players, but you probably don't know anyone there. You're going to a totally new area mm. overnight. Yeah, well, and that's again something that people don't take in consideration from the outside world of football. Yeah, well, like I said, I, I when I when I was younger, I was a bit more withdrawn. But even with me saying to you that I didn't want to go when I went to Sheffield United, Blackburn sent a like a PA with me just to make sure I got me house sorted and places to stay. So we started looking for an apartment. I started being really awkward because, like I said, I didn't want this move to happen. I thought I was going, I was number two behind Martin in the Blackburn team. 
So I started saying, oh, no, I don't like that apartment, I don't like this apartment. Long story short, we found this house that had like two double garages, a swimming pool out the back, a pond with koi carp in it. It had its own private gate, a roundabout leading up to the driveway. Ridiculous house, like two thousand, two and a half grand a month to rent. And uh, I said, I, I want to stay there. And thinking that, he say, oh, listen, you're too much my mate. Let's go back to Blackburn type of thing. So I know I got it. And Sheffield United said, oh, well, we give you a rent allowance of two thousand a month. So I had to pay five hundred a month to stay in a two and a half grand. Fucking. But it was crazy, like parties in that house every night after every game. It was mental crazy crazy stuff and this is all the stuff I was being a diva off it thinking oh well they'll just I'll go back to Blackburn this won't go through but I got everything that I wanted and yeah like no like no club looking at me nobody living with me no like my apartment at Blackburn was only around the corner so they would still have interaction with me but when I stayed in the house in Sheffield it was just no whole bards do what you like type of thing so and like would the house not be in bits because I always say like when you're a lad like that you always need a woman's touch like to well I had to, there was cleaners because the the, the ah. fella who owned it, it lived in the south of France but he had cleaners and stuff so it, there was no key on the door it was like a padlock like a, a numbered padlock so people would just come up do the padlock come in clean the house and walk back out I, I'd be walking around me, my house the, the house I was renting and there'd be people hoovering it that I'd never met before and I'd just walk past yeah. it wouldn't be afraid of them stroking it no it wasn't my house. We didn't well, care. Your stuff. <laughs> well, no, I didn't really have a lot. Do you know, like all my boots and stuff were in there. I generally drive up on a Monday with the clothes on my back, a phone charger, and stay for a few days and then go back to yeah. the, back to Blackburn. When did you get your license? We got my license when I came back to Ireland. I, okay, so yeah, it was so totally illegal driving over there. It was some of the we've stuff all, we've all been there. So. But I, like I said, I bought that Range Rover when I was seventeen <coughs> with, uh, with the apartment, and it was just away with the fairies from a young age, you know. So many times in football, in life, sorry, I was t- I was sort of taught that you know if you're good enough at football, you get away with anything, and mm. you know I think that sort of filtered into driving and you know whatever else, and it's not big and it's not clever, and thankfully nothing happened, and you know I have my license now, so yeah, not big and not clever. I wouldn't advise it, but thankfully got away with it. Mm. The football Sheffield United going back to Blackburn. And then you get uh, released or sacked uh, from Blackburn. Yeah, well, that so, was the story there. That that ended on a on a bit of a sour note because I I played well for Sheffield United. I scored my first professional goal against Leicester, and I I done okay. Me and Gary Speed were getting on really well, and oh, I was enjoying nice. my time there. And I I missed. What was he like? Speed. Speed. I an absolute like. A legend, absolute legend. I, I remember when I got there, there was Stephen Quinn, there was a couple of Irish lads that made me feel really welcome. But Gary Speed was like a coach player type of role, and unbelievable. He's, he's coming to the end of his days there. Yeah, Jeff. but did, he did, finished the bolt and went there after. He, he is like when you think of a Premier League legend, Gary Speed is probably yeah. the four centimetre midfielder that pops into your head. And so yeah, such a nice bloke, made me feel really welcome. And you know when you think like. He, he was doing things that he didn't have to do for me he would grab me come on I, I, I meet, let you meet the tea ladies this is where you get your kit like Carly Speed doesn't need to be showing me this stuff this would be somebody else but he took the time to invest in me made me feel welcome and yeah a, an absolute legend that's I huge I, I think Seamus Coleman's quite like that with the Irish setup and the Everton yeah. setup uh, a lot of people speak from in the sim- similar uh, high regard like um, but everyone speaks so well about Gary Speed yeah. but yeah sir you were saying though so yes no well. sorry oh yeah I was coming towards the end of me me deal. I missed I missed the game on the Saturday because of true injury, and then we were playing we were playing Plymouth on the Tuesday away, 
and the manager pulled me and said oh, I was a lower back injury the man Kevin Blackwell pulled me and said Keith we're not going to bother with you it's like a six hour drive down to down to Plymouth we have a game on Saturday so we're going to leave you for Tuesday and you'll play on Saturday so and bear in mind I played the last 17 games in a row so I was like yeah okay no problem then two minutes later Sam Ellis the assistant manager said right everybody who's not travelling on this line we're going to do some doggies I was like well he's he's not talking about me because I'm not travelling because my back's a bit iffy so surely I'm not going to do doggies and he said no you are doing doggies son and I basically said I'm not doing doggies and it bit of a to and fro before me and him and he basically said listen get your, get your boots and fuck off home like back to Blackmore type of thing and even now when I think about it I think it was a bit of a throwaway comment from him but I got me I got me boots and fucked off and turned up to Blackburn the next day and Allardyce didn't know anything about it I had to tell him about it and yeah, that was it. So I came back to Blackburn, not in great circumstances, and then crashed my car. Probably a week. It was, yeah, probably a week later, I crashed my car, and I'd not like I said no license. And Allardyce just said, uh, "Nah, I'm not having this with this fella anymore." And wouldn't even speak to me. They wouldn't even like tell me that I'd been sacked. He sent the doctor in to tell me I'd been sacked, and yeah, just jumped on a plane home to Dublin and got on the piss for a couple of months or a couple of weeks. Sorry. And what was your thought process then? Because um, I know you were keeping it a secret from the family that mm. you uh, had been sacked. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like made public, was it? No. Well, Allardyce had said that he's going to sack me. Uh, didn't want to speak to me, so I, I went home. My agent had I obviously tick tacking with my agent throughout all this, and he said, "Listen, we're going to go through your contract. If he can sack you, he will." So he went through it. And he said, "Listen, he can't sack you. There's nothing in the contract you haven't done. Like although driving without a license and all that wasn't a sackable offence." Um, so he said to me listen I spoke to Allardyce he said the club will continue to pay you but they don't want you around the training ground Yeah. so I just stayed in Dublin for till the last day of the January transfer window getting drunk and then Preston rang said uh, Darren Ferguson rang said he'd love to get me on board and blah de blah and I eventually Alex went Ferguson's there son's Alex Ferguson's yeah. son yeah so yeah all the family all my friends here just thought I had a hamstring injury and I was home for a couple of weeks and that was it but yeah fell around Dublin for a couple of weeks and Ended up going back to Preston. And what? Because you're back then in Lancashire. Was that was that good for you then? Because you kind of knew the setup of the area. Yeah. Well, look, I was after having a while. I while I was at Preston, um, I had a little girl and I had a a girlfriend as well at the time. So I I never really wanted to to stray too far out of Lancashire. I always wanted to be in and around Lancashire. There was a couple of moves that popped up to London, but yeah, I, I just I found myself. I was finding enough trouble in, in rural areas like Blackburn and stuff like that. So if I was to go into a city... Mm, like imagine London, in London. That's even Manchester, I was thinking, you know, I could get in a lot of trouble here. I could go under early. So I tried to avoid it as much as I could. But yeah, I got known as a, as a Lancashire Hewer then because I was going to Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, Preston, Blackburn, Burnley. So yeah, just bounced around Lancashire. Yeah, I noticed that when I was looking through because they're all rivals. Yeah. <laughs> other, that's know? why every set of team hate me because I played for a rival oh okay well, well luckily you're not on social media so you probably don't have to deal yeah, with that's half, half the reason believe me yeah <laughs> luckily you don't have to deal with them what was it, what was it like then because um, I've seen the lads on Under the Cosh were talking about the, the gaffer loved you there um, and it was yourself and oh, Cutie Paul Cutie yeah the centre midfielder he, he brought uh, he brought Cutie with him from Peterborough and uh, Cutie he was, was golden boy so yeah he was his golden boy, he was his whipping boy, but he loved him and he used to abuse Cutie, but Cutie took it because he knew the gaffer loved him. And yeah, there were so many times that, you know, I wouldn't do enough running and training and he'd get the statistics back off, you know, the, the packs and he said, oh, Keith, you need to go back out, you didn't do enough running. Cutie, get your boots, you're with him. And 
Cutie would just take and me and Cutie, he put me and Cutie as uh, roommates for away trips and me and Cutie ended up becoming really close. Cutie ended up living with me for a couple of months, but yeah, Cutie was a, uh, Cutie liked to drink as well, so we we probably weren't the best uh, company for each other, but yeah, we, we, we were okay. How are you handling the drinking at this point? Because you're what, this is your third club mm-hmm. then. Were you feeling like your your big chance had gone because of uh, the Blackburn stuff? Did you feel like you were, because I, I think your dream was to get play in the Premier League, you'd done that, but in terms of being like a regular in the Premier League, probably was more so your... Uh, I, I didn't feel like the, the chance had gone. I always felt like the chance would come back. I felt like I I played in the Premier League, although it was only 12 times or whatever it was, it wasn't an awful lot, but I felt like I'd done it, I felt like I could do it. And you felt at that level then? Yeah, I felt like I could do it. I didn't feel out of depth, which, yeah. like, you know, when you play against Arsenal, you know, you're thinking chasing shadows. I felt okay. I felt, you know, from the age, I was thinking a couple of years' time, I'd be yeah. the same, if not better, as these lads. But I think that mindset was the wrong mindset to have. You know, I should have been looking at them, trying to learn rather than thinking, oh, well, I'm already here, so a couple of drinks won't harm anybody. But, you know, it, it, it really did start to overtake me. and it, it, it was took it a while. Was it when 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 it started overtaking you, the drink? Probably even before that. It just it, it started showing at Preston because I couldn't get up and down the pitch as much. I was a little bit heavy around the belly and people could see it, but it was only ever a problem when I didn't score or I didn't play well. When I played well, nobody cared what I looked like or, you know, he smelled the drink on the way in here. Nobody cared because I, I played well, but at, uh, at Preston, like I, I ended up, I'd done really well at Preston, but the, the drink was out of control. Like it was literally, I was drinking more often than not, probably five, six times a week. Like, you know, I'm properly drinking like in pubs and, you know, 13, 14 points and then going on to small ones. So it wasn't good. I, I was abusing my body, burning the candle at both ends. And yeah, like it, it caught up with me eventually, but it took a while, you know. Yeah. Without wanting to come across as big headed, I think my talent probably masked an awful lot of it and I got away with an awful lot of stuff. But, you know, it, it didn't help me in the long run. Is that why he probably wasn't as, as, as harsh on you? Because he felt maybe if he gave you a bit of love that it might change your ways, uh, Ferguson? Yeah, possibly. You know, uh, Fergie was brilliant with me. He really was. The first time I signed, I signed and within probably within the first week I was locked up. I missed training. My me, me girlfriend at the time had said I hit her, which I didn't know. I would never hit a woman, but... Yeah, I, I got locked up. The police came to question me, and because I had been drinking, they said they threw me in a cell and said, oh, we'll question you tomorrow when you're sober." So I had to spend the night in the cell and miss training. And yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great having to go in and tell Darren Ferguson that I'd missed training because I'd been locked up and they took the phone off me. And yeah, he he was brilliant. He he sorted out a lot of things once he got to the 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 truth of the matter. He he would defend me, but he he always wanted to know the truth first and. You know, there was women turning up to the training ground, throwing me clothes all over the place. And, yeah, I just wasn't living the right life. You know, I was living the life of a of a footballer, you know, going out, doing what he likes, drinking. And I, I was more of a party boy with a footballer on the side. And, yeah, like I said, I, I think it was just the, the back end of the drinking culture in Blackburn just stuck with me. And, yeah, trying to struggle with depression that like from not being home in around christmas stuff like that and girlfriends being in dublin it was just a you know a bit all over the place and i had me first my first daughter as well ruby was born when i was 19 in preston so yeah there was some you know a lot of demons in my head at the time you know, drink just numbed it i remember when i i've obviously worked with you 
um in tv and stuff like that but you sp- said to me like when we were watching an ireland game and I remember you're talking about kind of when you're coming through the, people don't tell you that the dangers is like women will literally mm. try to get you yeah uh, or try to get them pregnant and and, and then you're kind of left in to, to pay the way not that you don't do that with your daughter or, or anything like that i don't mean it in that sense but what i mean is they'll try to get pregnant from a football because then they'll yeah have a, yeah it is it's look it's not these are just like I say with pitfalls when you think of somebody who you'd like to, to tell your Sundays you know I, I have a four year old now and people always ask me would you like Teddy to be a professional footballer and the football is not the problem the 90 minutes on the pitch is not the problem it's the stuff that goes off with women and the social media and stuff like that I would be really sceptical of opening my son up to that sort of stuff but like you said I feel I'd be able to shelter him from an awful lot of it but it's not nice and I remember walking into nightclubs and women look at you and you think like I must look well today but they know who you are that's what it is you know you, as a footballer you like to think I oh, know I'm a good looking lad you know, it's nothing to do with being good looking or having an Irish accent it's because they know you kick a ball for a living and you're earning thousands and there is an awful lot of pitfalls and you know certain nightclubs you go to there's going to be certain women there and so you get certain attention and when I was younger I liked all that stuff but when I really got down to the drink and I would do it in bars offside where, you know, people wouldn't know me and stuff. But yeah, there was a big drinking scene with footballers and page three girls and stuff like that. And yeah, it can be quite a, quite a dark place. Yeah. And obviously that kind of was probably in the background. Not a lot of people were knowing that you were, you were obviously playing football, but you have all this going on in the background. It, it probably wasn't known at all, really, was it? Like, no, like you said, you, I don't you keep think... it from teammates or... There was probably one or two that that uh, that knew about it. I and mean, they're probably with you on the nights out. With me on the nights out, yeah. There was like even I remember like people would always ask me, you know, on Friday nights I'd go out and they wouldn't. A lot of the players wouldn't go out with me, so I would get the the boy called Boris who used to clean the dressing rooms. I'd ring him and me and him go out on a Friday night together, and yeah, it was just anybody or anything. Saturday. Yeah, it, it became like now I wasn't out every single Friday before the game, but you know probably the. 50% of the majority I would have been out most of the time and look it's not big and it's not clever I, I shouldn't have done it but I was dealing with so many things I, you have to understand that I, I couldn't sit in a room by myself with my thoughts because my head would go to places and the next thing I'd be depressed and the only thing I, I had to switch my mind into a positive mindset or just to, to think about things differently was alcohol and mm, our company is well yeah company with women but I, I would have to get drunk to be able to speak to a woman so it was like a, a double-edged sword, like meeting fire with fire. So I was always born the candle at both ends, chasing myself. And yeah, it's, it's just nothing I did was ever conducive to a good football and career. It was quite the opposite, really. Yeah, kind of a little bit self-destructive um, at the time. Um, that's like, when you think, and how old are you at this time? 19? 19, yeah, when Ruby was born, yeah. Yeah, that's just... To think of someone so young over there and you're away from everybody. Mm. I mean, it's hard enough when you're, say, in Dublin at 19 and, and trying to, you're out there in the big bad world. But then you're living in a different country. I know it's not far away, but you're there. And as, as I said, it's not, everything wasn't as accessible probably as it was. And there was Facebook back then, mm. which is fair enough. But still, it was kind of the, that was the turning point of social media where you could do that. But then again, there's probably the, the negative side of the social media where birds were probably adding you here and there and, and trying to chat with you and you're probably like yeah come down or whatever that type yeah. of way I'm not saying you were but you'd like to think that 
that's kind of the pattern and then when you're out you're obviously meeting women in that sense as well and you're getting absolutely plastic drunk and I think you've said before you were just waking up in different yeah. uh, different beds and, and probably your beds they were in, uh, waking up in and with people you probably didn't even know their names I know it got to the point where I had to I had a I had a driver who his name was Mark he's still, he's still a good friend of mine now Mark Wilson and it got to the point where he used to drive me around because I'd be drunk so much and wherever a woman's house I was going to, he would drop me off and he'd be like, I'll be back for you in the morning to bring you to training. And he just became like a shadow of mine because I was going around drunk 24-7 and I couldn't drive and I was getting dropped off and women's houses left, right and centre and brought to training. But yeah, like it's it's, it's not big, it, it wasn't great. and Yeah, I, like now I have girls, I know I, I had Ruby at the time, but... I feel I've grown up and become a man and you, you develop a respect for women that I definitely didn't have at the time and like you said I've done some some really poor things to women over the years and you know you can only apologise and move on and like, like now like I say now with my little girls with Jenny Ann Izzy and Ruby it's uh, it, it would really infuriate me to think somebody treating them like that so you just you just grow up and cop on as a human being really and you know it, it helps not being drunk all the time as well I have to say yeah you your daughter Ruby, do you still keep in contact with her and stuff? Yeah, it's no, it's it's quite difficult. To, like I say, the like, last time I seen Ruby was probably three or four years ago, and you know, there's a there's no social media, there's no contact really. But you know, it is what it is. Maybe one day she she'll get in contact with well, you. I see, yeah, she's she now thirteen now, so another five years she'll be eighteen. You know, so hopefully, yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Well, look. Uh, we we'll, let's go back to the football, Preston. Avoiding uh, relegation down at yeah. that point, um, you're carrying a double hernia mm. and you're going around with drugs out of your arse or put into yeah. your arse even for your double hernia so you can play. Um, and you, are you still drunk? Uh, I say, are you still drinking while you're getting these injections to play and stuff? Your, your body yeah. and mind must have been all over the place. Yeah, it was, but <clears throat> for me, everything that I did in football, it, there was always a I was always thinking like how can I how can I wiggle a drink out of this now and with with the suppositories and and the painkilling injections I wouldn't like with the championship it'd be Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, game, game, game. So I'd play on a Saturday, be off on the Sunday, so I go out Saturday night. Monday I wouldn't train because I have my double hernia. Tuesday I just turn up for the game, get injected and go and play. So I'd be out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, probably just die in the in the in the jacuzzi or the sauna and then play again on the Saturday so I ended up at the age of 19, 20 not training and just playing games with painkillers and suppositories and yeah like I remember the, the physio and all saying like You've, your arse is like a dartboard Keith we can't keep doing this for you but it kept happening because they wanted me on the pitch it wasn't the you know maybe this isn't the best thing for him as a, as a human being yeah. it was what's best for the but you're delivering on the pitch exactly but you know I remember having a conversation with the physio at the time, and I had a one of me the one of the nerve endings in my groin was giving me a bit of pain, and because they it kept happening and happening, they wanted me to go to Germany and burn me nerve ending, and he said like it doesn't solve the problem, but you won't get any pain. I was like, well, that doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. So although I, I he said you could actually walk with a limp because your body will protect itself and feel the pain. But I won't actually physically feel it because the nerve ending will be burnt. Okay, I, like, I get you. That's just destroying my body at nineteen yeah. twenty to be asking me to do stuff like that. But this is maybe when if you're thirty five or something. 
Exactly, yeah. But at nineteen twenty, that's not the answer. You know, the, your body if your body's giving you that pain, it's for a reason. It needs to be addressed, not just burnt and get you back out yeah, of the pitch. Yeah. You know, so there must have been a, a fairly poor physio team to not let you recover. It, it comes I know from it was manager, if you keep you know? us if you keep us up then then you can get it and he didn't allow you to get it isn't that right? Yeah, well that I needed the operation. Obviously, I was diagnosed with a double hernia, and you know he said oh, we will get the painkillers until we're mathematically clear. I remember Ledge, Sean Saint Ledge, I get the ball away against Scunthorpe, and we were it was one one all with a minute to go, and I scored in the last minute, and we won two one, and that was I remember saying to the gaffer then like. That's me. I can go and get the up. And no, no. Every place now, every whatever it is, a hundred grand every place or whatever it was at the time meant a lot to them. So he's like, no, you're you're gonna be playing next week and the week before after that. And yeah, it just rolled on. I eventually got the surgery, but yeah, I think doing that to your body when you know you shouldn't be doing it. Although I wasn't feeling pain, you know, it, it's it it was only masking the pain. It wasn't sorting her out. So. Even that night, I remember I scored the goal and me and Ledge went out and I actually shat myself on a night out. Just not, not because I was too drunk, I was obviously drunk, but I, I couldn't, I was still numb from the waist yeah. down, so I thought I was letting a, a little fart and shat myself in the middle of a club. And then, though me and Ledge had a bit of a laugh about it, it was funny, it was, you know, quite alarming now when you look back at it. Yeah, well, obviously, because your, your body's almost like it's, it's like it's shutting down mm-hmm. in some ways, you know. Um, but from that point, uh, did you you leave Preston, uh, or what? How did that work? And you go on to Burnley then? Uh, well, yeah, we got relegated. We ended up getting relegated, and I spoke to Is Phil that the Brown. Next year? The, the following year, yeah, yeah, I kept I kept them up the, with the goal. I scored against Scunthorpe. We stayed up that year. So the following year, uh, I got my operations ready to go, and I spoke to Phil Brown. He said uh, he asked me what I wanted to do. We said I'm, I'm happy to stay. Trapattoni was putting a bit of pressure on me saying I can't be playing in League One if I want to play for Ireland he actually described Preston as a pub team he said you can't play for that pub team if you want to play for us so I said oh okay and bro, I, I was happy I was sort of happy doing me drinking and, and playing and I was a big fish in a small pond at Preston so I, I was fairly happy but then Burnley came knocking they they offered a million pound and you know, for the League One player a million pound was quite a lot of money at the time and it, it it would have helped me to play for Ireland again. So although I didn't really want to leave, and the direct rivals of the close, yeah. Well, even Trevor Hemmings, uh, he came to me and said, "Listen, it's it's too big of a swing to turn down a million because there was they were bit there was a build they were building houses at the back." And I said, "Listen, if you can give me a house, I'll stay." And blah blah. So it was like a two million swing to not to keep me rather than sell me. So yeah, they ended up selling me, and you know, looking back, that was probably. A pivotal moment in my career. If I if I could take it again, I would, and I, I would have just stayed at, at Preston, because I although I the people in Burnley, the club, I loved it. I really enjoyed my time. Ross Wallace made made probably a friend for life with him, but yeah, the the meal for me probably wasn't great. Mm, was is that because Eddie Howe was a bit strange with you? Yeah, or well, what way was that? I remember when like the when my agent said Burnley had put a, a million pound bid in for you. I had to go and meet Eddie Hale and I met him in Manchester and he, he started to ask me about me drinking, how much do I drink, there's rumours about you and blah de, blah so I, t- I told him what he needed to know, didn't tell him any more than he needed to know and yeah, the, like the alarm bell should have been ringing there that, you know, th- this guy because 
this was at a time when some managers were sports scientists mad and some managers were like, oh no, I have a point, it's okay. Like so he, he was he was the new kind of age. He was manager, the new age, yeah. He was sports science mad, your body's a temple, whereas Phil Brown was like, I don't care what you turn up like as long as you play well. So it was very, very different at the end of the scale. But even I remember I played in the Carlin Cup of Nations for Ireland, had the meeting with him, went and played for Ireland, turned up for uh the pre season a week or so late, like supposed to be late because I was playing for Ireland. And uh, yeah, done the bleep test the first day and he didn't even introduce himself to me. I know I'd met him obviously outside it, but you know, he didn't shake my hand and say, Oh, this is Keith lads, he's new sign and didn't introduce me to everybody. He just said, As I was walking, I said, Keith, you're over there doing a bleep test. And I just thought, Then I, I rang me age, I said, I, I Don't, Eddie, how is a bit funny with me? Like, and he said, Yeah, well, I'm not so sure he wanted you, mate. If I'm honest, I think it was uh, somebody floods, one of the floods on the board uh, at Burnley wanted me, so the board sort of forced the through and. I, I was given to him rather than him wanting me yeah. and I sort of got that vibe up from the start to be honest yeah, with you it's not so. a good start because you're walking into something that you don't feel like you want it's happened to loads of players like you think of Robbie Keane at Liverpool and Rafa mm. similar enough you know and that didn't work out well um, but he so like he's obviously not giving you much of a chance is he? No, well, the first game of the season we played, uh, we played Watford at home and he said to me uh, look I'm not going to play you son because you're, you're overweight like I said, I, I played for Ireland and I was on a sauce for a week or so. So he said to me, you're not going to play, you're overweight. Lo and behold, we're 2-0 down and he puts me on because we're struggling the opening day of the season. And I score one and I set one up and we draw two all. Of course, the Tuesday then, this was on the Saturday, the Tuesday, I started against Peterborough, even though I wasn't fit enough three days ago. But I played anyway, didn't play very well. Like he's still a little bit heavy, still a little bit hungover. And yeah, he uh, after that he sort of. I told him he he said to me, "You weren't great." I said, "But I'm not ready." You told me I wasn't ready last week. He's like, "Ah, oh, you're using me words against me." And we, we just never ever really seen eye to eye. And he made a couple of signings. He brought Junior Stanislas in from Bournemouth, and you know the, he walked him previously. So you know when a manager brings in a player, he walks with previously, especially a winger, a left winger. I was like, "Well, he's going to play ahead of me." And Ross Wallace was on the other side, so I was like, "I'm snookered here again." And yeah, I ended up, I think, in the three years I was there, I, I made about 80, 70, 80 appearances, which is is not a lot, like, when you're trying to get get your career back down. But, yeah, no, we, me and Eddie didn't really, didn't get on too well. How, how did his kind of time then then end? And then Sean Dyche came in, who I know you're still are, are very close with. Yeah, I know, I love Sean Dyche. Uh, Eddie Howes, Eddie Howes, Ryan finished his, uh, I think his mother became unwell down in Bournemouth, and... He uh, he's t- he wasn't doing too well. I think we were, you know, fifteenth, sixteenth in the league, maybe sort of flirting with relegation, middle of the road, and the club sort of said, "Listen, we're not going to sack you." And he he wanted to go, so he sort of just left. But I think he was on the road to being sacked anyway because he wasn't doing so well. And yeah, Deutsch came in, and I remember I, I I was after being at my uncle's wedding in Dublin, and this is Eddie Howe said I could go. I came back and he breathalyzed me on the Monday and I, I was still drunk. So he fined me six weeks' wages and this is when he ended up leaving and Deutsch came in. And as soon as Deutsch came in, he put his arm around me, said the six weeks' fine has been squashed. That was under a different manager. You have a, a clean slate with me. Uh, I was with the reserves. He said, you're back with the force team. As soon as you lose your belly, you'll be in the force team. And I was like, fucking hell, somebody here is going to give me a chance. And Someone's showing you a bit of interest. Yeah, and like even then, he started showing me a bit of love. Like When he said to me, when you're fit, you're in the team, I was thinking, that's that could be a token gesture type. But after training, 
uh, the next day he's like right come on keep wheel going a jog I was like we he's like yeah me and you come on and just through Burnley City Centre having a chat talking to him about things and <clears throat> just un- unloading stuff you know stuff that I felt stuff I felt under Eddie Howe stuff I felt at the board at Burnley and yeah he was brilliant he just put me at ease and he was like you don't need to mind about Eddie that I'm the, I'm the person you answer to now and you're going to have a free cracker at it. so yeah it, I was I was at a time where I was ready to finish I was gone like Eddie Howe had asked me to finish I was I was six months into a three year deal and Eddie Howe had asked me to walk away from it um, right. I, I was in Marbella uh, with the wife drinking and I got a phone call while I was over there saying you're playing for the reserves tomorrow and I was like what you can't, you can't just tell me I'm, playing. I'm in Marbella he said well I never gave you clearance and bloody bad so I came back I had like really bad sunburn and long story short there was a ball coming for me and I just I just moved out away like rather than chest it I just nah, leave that and he was like he's like get him off take him off and I come off and he's like son just give up you don't want to be here you won't even control the fucking football just give up and I gave up. I was like fucking in Marbella yesterday and bloody blood and yeah he fucked me down to the reserves and uh, that was it we were we were pretty much done but when Deutsch came in and he started showing me that bit of love I, I played another another two and a half years under him and yeah I, I couldn't have seen that happen I don't think I was even if Eddie Howe hadn't have left I probably would have finished a lot lot sooner than I did you know, Deutsch put you know two and a half years maybe even Maybe even the the six months I spent at Barnsley after that was all down to the the goodwill of Deutsch and making me feel like now there is good people in football. So, yeah, for like I'm not saying Eddie Howe was a bad uh, a bad manager or a bad person. He was 33 when he got the Burnley job, so he was very very young, and I I was an awkward one, a very very awkward he one. He probably young. had to make his mark with you just because you were a young lad and he had to show his shows. Yeah, his ground a little bit maybe. Yeah, well, look, I, 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 like I say, I, I was a weird one. Like, I'm, I'm older now. I do a bit of coaching, and if I was to try and coach myself and manage myself, I can imagine I'm a fucking nightmare. So, yeah, I, I've every sympathy with Eddie Howe trying to manage me, but you know, I think now he's a little bit older at Newcastle. Obviously, doing well, I think he'd, he'd do a lot better job right now than than he did back then. Mm-hmm. Um, just with with Deutsch, how how did that end at your time at Burnley then? Uh, with Deutsch oh there was a deal wasn't it there was a deal meant to be signed and then the board yeah that was it yeah well we um, about six months out from uh, my last year I had six months left and my agent spoke to spoke to Burnley spoke to Deutsch and he said they got back and said yeah listen we're delighted with Keith he's making great progress he's lost weight he looks good he's, he's you know uh, doing well in the team so yet yeah, we're going to give him another deal we'll give him another deal but we don't know whether we're going to get promoted or we're going to stay in the championship, so we can't speak finances yet because obviously there'd be different deals. No problem. Okay, you know, so hang toy keys, you're getting another deal anyway. Right, no problem. So we progress on and on and on. We beat Wigan in Turf Moor, um, so we're mathematically up now. Uh, so the next day, I I was literally about to ring my agent and tell him to go in to Deutsch and, and see what the crack is. And... The, the gaffer calls a meeting that morning and David Edgar, a, a Canadian player, had had his agent in to see see what the story was with his contract and Deutsch went through him. He was like, don't have your fucking agent knocking on my door. Grow a pair of bollocks and do it yourself. So I was like, oh, dodge the bullet here. Like, so I knocked yeah. on his door. Like, All right, gaffer. He's like, ah, here's a real lad now come in and talk to me face to face. So like, what's the story? And he basically said, listen, uh, he offered me a trial. He said, um, we're going to bring you back on trial. you Go away, 
for the summer have a month come back if you come back slim you come back running you come back in good shape we'll give you another deal which obviously in hindsight is not bad but I went I went into that room thinking there's a deal there and although that, the well. sort of half was a deal the half wasn't a deal and I was concentrating on the negatives and I was like well he, he did say in the same breath you know it's not me so I'm delighted with you it's the board that needs convincing I was thinking well if the board aren't happy then the board aren't happy there's no point in me fucking sticking around so we, we had a bit of a you know a bit of a talk and then yeah it's, it just didn't happen it, it I wasn't compared. I wasn't prepared to come back on trial. I've been at the club three years. Like I said, played between seventy and eighty games. I was thinking, what more do you need to know? Like, do you just want me or you just don't? And when they said, "Oh, come back on trial," that was my answer. I was like, "Well, right, they don't want me." And yeah, it just sort of fizzled out. I still speak to Sean Dyche, <clears throat> the only manager I do do still speak to, and very rare we actually speak about football, which is is nice. And considering he's such an such an intense man and loves football, he's a uh, He's, he's even more of a, a family person, which is, is lovely. He doesn't come across on the camera too much. Yeah, well, you said actually seen him doing more and more podcasts now, mm. and he just seems like a great guy. He just, you know, sound fella. Yeah. You wouldn't think he was a Premier League manager just because he's sound. He, he just seems to laugh a lot of stuff off. Like, he, he, I remember him even at press conferences with Burnley, and he'd be, you know, messing and taking the piss probably yeah. out of himself. Yeah, but that, that, the one thing I really like, the, uh, the one thing I still love about Deutsch is he doesn't, he doesn't entertain the glitz and the glam of the Premier League, you know. There's lots of people that will walk in and, you know, they sort of walk in like a peacock. Deutsch just walks in and walk, he, he doesn't care that, you know, oh, well, you're supposed to be this big I am. It's, no, well, I am this and this is the way it is. And the one thing he, that he said to me that really stuck with me through, through my career was when you get to the front door of the training ground, you take your ego off and you leave it there. You come in here, you're the same as everybody else. We all walk to a certain standard. And there's no well, I'm more talented than you, so I walk a little bit less. Nah, we're all we're all the same here, and all the players uh, bought into it. And the great thing was that he didn't just say it to the players; he did it as well. When he walked in, he left his ego out there. He came in, and like you said, he, he would take the piss. He would he he would do fines. He would do the spinning wheel if he had to do if he did something wrong. He would get punished for it. And yeah, he was he was brilliant. He was real. Uh, I don't I don't know how to explain him. He was a once off. His man management was was unbelievable. He was probably the only manager that I wanted to run through a brick wall for. And although like I always said fear was a great motivator. It, it was fear with him, you know. I'd be afraid that he'd grab me by the neck if I didn't play well, but it was more of a fear of disappointing him because I felt that he'd put so much work into me that I didn't ever want to let him down when I played and that's probably the 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 one thing that he got that other managers I felt didn't get was if you treat the human being, the footballer will come with him. But if you treat the footballer, the human being will be left behind. Yeah. And so many managers tried to treat the footballer, didn't really care about me. But Deutsch actually tried to get to me, which was made me, you know, have a last and love for him. Yeah, well, I see him on the the high performance podcast talking about that. It's like non negotiables is that when you come in, everyone has to be on the same page and everyone works mm. together for a goal. And he just seems, as I said, he just seems like an absolute gent. And obviously from what you said, and I know he's done favour favours for you, like coming on radio stations and stuff since. So, you know, fair play to him. And the fact that he still does that and you'd pick up the phone is is brilliant. Yeah. You know, again, he leaves the ego behind, which not a lot of them yeah. is in football do. You know, we've we've both dealt with footballers, um and some of them they think like they, they'll leave you. Uh, your message unread for two years and they mm. come back to you when they want something so it's, it's very much like that at Premier League level anyway but uh, 
Just kind of so on, on the back of that, you obviously didn't get your your contract um, because of the board. So you end up leaving. What happens there? It was it was a really strange one because because we got promoted. There was a there was a couple of days organised in Marbella for the for the squad, and obviously me and Deutsch we did we didn't have a falling out, but I we sorted. I'm not signing. I'm not coming back on trial. He was trying to convince me to come back on trial. I said no. So he really believed in you. Yeah, he like, did, and it it was great. It, I like I remember the the one big moment that that sticks with me with Dice is we we were playing Bournemouth the way, and Bournemouth were doing quite well, and we were doing well. It was like a race for a promotion, and it had been raining on the Friday night. It was really windy down down the south of England, and the pitch was fucking shocking. But it got past. It was playing anyway, and I was on the bench and uh, Bournemouth were winning one 0 and we 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 had to get something from the game. And he, he bringing me on with 10 minutes to go or whatever. And he put his, standing on the halfway line, he put his arm around me and he, he sort of turned me towards Eddie Howe and he said, go and prove that cunt wrong. Go and prove him that you should have been on the pitch. And I, I ended up scoring Ross Wallace cross and I scored. And I remember just, when I looked at him, the smile on his face, it was like, like I would look at Teddy if he scored a goal. I was like, I just remember looking at him and thinking, like, he's happy for me. Like, you don't get that with managers. He was really, really happy. And yeah, it, it just, when somebody has that, interest in you it just makes you feel 10 feet tall and yeah like I say he's um, yeah an outstanding bloke a really nice it's a shame he didn't come into your life earlier yeah maybe you know the Blackburn days or something obviously no he's not going to be Blackburn manager but it's a shame that sometimes a life timing can be the thing that really clicks for you, yeah. and unfortunately, that just that just wasn't yeah, wasn't well, it. In, in the same, I, what you're saying is, is is right, but I I also think that I was I wasn't ever ready to get help. You know, the, Eddie Howe did try and send me the Spartan Chance, the uh, Tony Adams Clinic for athletes and stuff like that. There was one or two people tried to send me to places, but I just, I wasn't open to it. I didn't think I had a problem because, like I said, my football was still going. I was still getting caps for Ireland, so. How do you tell somebody who's playing in the Premier League and getting caps for Ireland that they have a problem? You know, it's, it's very hard yeah. to look yourself in the mirror and admit it when you don't have to. Mm. You know, it was only when I, when I mentally actually broke that I admitted I had a problem and decided to get help. But yeah, when when all the football is still going up and up and, you know, the bank account is going up and up, it's very hard to have a real talk with yourself. Yeah, well, that's because we're going to be coming to that now because that happens to you apparently. So. Mm. What uh, how did the move to Barnsley come about? Uh, I think you went back to Dublin again, did you? Yeah. And then went to Barnsley. I think they were the only club looking for you, if that's yeah. correct. Yeah, that's right. I um, I I came back to Dublin and I like I said I played probably thirty thirty two games thirty thirty odd games that the season we got promoted for. Was that your first full season in a while then? Because you were getting dribs and drabs. Yeah, that was Blackburn the, the first one. Yeah, without like going on a loan yeah. or whatever. It was the first real season and I felt like I, I played a decent part in the promotion I, I scored a goal against Yeovil scored a goal against Bournemouth which were important goals and yeah to I, I, I thought when when the, the trial thing for Burnley came I was like well there'll be all sorts of championship clubs looking for me like and no there was nobody there was Barnsley came knocking and you know I remember this this is how fucked up the world of English football is my agent rang me and said to me, oh, Barnsley are looking to sign you. Uh, would you meet Danny Wilson in, in a hotel in Manchester? I said, yeah, okay, I'll meet him. So I, I went and met Danny Wilson. As we're chatting, he's obviously, oh, you're brilliant, we need you. We need somebody like you. We'll get promoted next year and blah, blah, blah. So I'm talking to him just as plan B type of thing. like. And the next day he said, this was on the Wednesday, the season is starting on the Saturday. Go and do a medical at Barnsley 
And just in case you sign, just in case you are happy there, it'll, you'll have it there and you'll be able to play Saturday. So I'll, you just sign the piece of paper, but you're not actually signing. I was like, oh, okay. My agent didn't turn up. So it was just me. And, and you're before, what age, sir? 20 would have been 20, 24. Yeah, still, still relatively yeah. young, yeah. But yeah, before I knew it, I was doing a fucking bleep test and I signed for the club and I was on the bench on Saturday. That's mental. Like, I negotiated my own contract talking to them and yeah, it was just uh, because I dropped out of that top tier, my agent really didn't yeah, give too much of a yeah, shit about yeah. me. So I was like, don't do it yourself. Like, and yeah. The move to Barnsley shouldn't have really happened. I should have went and got myself fit and then started looking for the club. But yeah, I, I came in the door at Barnsley. I was on the bench on the Saturday and, and how, how, chasing my tail again. Nobody's how bad in. is the off the field stuff at this point then because you're near breakdown? Oh, it's absolutely out of control. It's, um, I, I was obviously, I'm with, I was with me, my girlfriend down, my wife now, but it was it, from my house where I was living in Lytham to Barnsley was like a 200 mile drive. So I used to go and stay in Barnsley for a few days and I just got fucking crazy, like do what I wanted, stay in hotels, women, alcohol everywhere and yeah, just roll in the next day, do two or three hours training and do the cycle again, drink, do what I want. This is why your wife is where she's in Dublin or? She'd be in Dublin or she'd even be in the house in Lytham, like 200 okay. miles away. Is she aware of any of this? She knew I was drinking really, really heavily, yeah, but she uh, she was new to the world of football. She wasn't sure if if it, what I was doing was normal. Is every footballer like this? Is it just him? Is it like and just, just on her, so did you meet her in Dublin and she came over with you then? Was what? that before Barnsley or, or, or? No, but me and Leanne, we were friends for okay. years. Like, where we literally live on opposite corners of the street to each other. So, my house, my mother's house, looks directly at her house. and... We, yeah, we knew each other growing up for years and then I left to play for England, uh, play in England and I came back uh, one summer um, and I, she owns a shop and I went into the shop to get credit and yeah, I, I asked her out on a date and that was it and like I said, we, we'd always knew each other but we weren't we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend and yeah, what do we know? We, 11 years together now. Yeah, so I suppose you, all that's happening and she's probably sitting there worried and I know you're probably at the same time she says that to me I'm getting away from her mm. so that must have been extremely tough for her and maybe you weren't seeing that at the time I know you've turned things around since but you probably weren't seeing that at the time you were yeah. probably just like oh I don't need the stress yeah well like it's 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 very hard because you know, when you're playing football you, you're getting it it's so intense from every angle and then you go home and obviously my wife is really really worried about me drinking and as soon as she brings up the drinking you know I don't want to hear so I'm out the room so it's a fine balancing act with her trying to keep me around and give out to me because you know I, I've all the money in the world I can go and stay in a five star hotel and drink myself to death if I like so it's walking on eggshells for her exactly yeah it was really really tough for her and like I said I, I really I find it very hard to understand how she stuck around through it I really do but extremely thankful that she did yeah, well, we'll come to why I suppose now, you know, you you, you met was it the Christmas Day was when it got really bad for you. Yeah, the well, Boxing Day we had a uh, Stevens Day we had a uh, we were playing Preston, uh, Barnsley were playing Preston and I was allowed to stay in my own house because the Deepdale was closer to my house than than Barnsley was. So yeah, Christmas Day I I remember waking up we I think we were training late or we were training late or whatever but I didn't train Christmas Day I sent a text message or whatever. But yeah, I'd, I'd meet them, met them in the hotel next to Deepdale on Boxing Day, but 
like Christmas Christmas Day, I think I had a pizza for for me dinner. Uh, there was a bottle of Jack Daniels, bottle of Malibu, bottles of vodka, bottles of beer. And I just remember the next morning I remember waking face uh, waking up face down with like sick and blood and I think I'd actually pissed myself and everything. It was yeah, it was just the the driver knocking on the door trying to wake me up to go to the game and he eventually came in through the back door and I went up and had a shower and cleaned myself up and he's pleading with me, you know, you need to sort this out, keep this care and keep going, you're gonna hurt yourself and Yeah, I I, I was on the bench that day and I, I'd done a couple of doggies and the the peripheral vision and deep there, like I couldn't see people in the crowd, it was getting dark and dark and got a bit of a fright. I, I ran into the dressing room and Danny Wilson, the manager, was standing there. I said, oh, Gaffer, I think I have the flu. I don't feel great. Yeah, no problem. So I'm going to sit on the coach, stay away from the lads and bloody blah, blah. So I walked out deep there, straight onto a straight onto a plane. The Manchester and fucked off home and never came back. And so what what's the your missus thinking at this point? Well she she didn't see me with the sick and the blood. So And she's at I think you said she's at home. She was in Dublin at yeah. the time, yeah. So And uh, your kid you, you did you have kids at this point? Yeah, we had Jerry Ann, Izzy and Ruby, but obviously Ruby was with our mother and Jerry Ann and Izzy were in Dublin with our with, with their mother. Yeah, sorry, well. so, too, I'm talking about. Yeah, they were in all in Dublin. So the the crazy thing was, like, even looking back now, I woke up with blood and piss and sick and everything around me, but that night I'm back in the piss in Dublin. It's uh, even though I I've got such a fright that I've left England, I'm back in the piss. So although I I realised the problem, I knew there was a problem. I still had I was still drawn to the drink, and I I couldn't. Uh, it just had a grip on me. There was nothing I could really really do. I was only happy when I was in a pub. I felt I was myself when I was in a pub, and you know everyday life was becoming harder and harder for me. And so, at what point do you? you know, really go, all right, well, here's the issue. When did you really break down then to your missus to then go, right, well, we need to yeah. change this? Well, after after the Barnsley, after I left Barnsley, I probably kept drinking for another two years. And, did, like, this is probably every day now. Even I played for Drotted, I played for Pats, but I, I was drunk, like, most of the lads at Pats will tell you nearly every day I'd come in drunk like Colin, I say to Colin born all the time and he, he laughs and in Birmingham like I was drunk 90% of the time yeah. I think we played in Europe I wasn't drunk but yeah I believe you played Unreal in those European games as well yeah but that was, it was the only time I got motivated you know I felt there was media coming in to do interviews it felt like a big game and I, I felt like I, I it was easy to get up for it so yeah I enjoyed the European games but like I say, the, the drink had a, a big, big hold in me. But I don't think my wife was new too much. But them two years after I came back from Barnsley and was in Dublin, it was literally, you know, she'd go to work, come back and I'd be in the pub and I'd fall back into the bed at two in the morning and get up the next morning and do it all again. And she started to realise, like, yeah, this, this is not right. We need to have a, a chat here. And even throughout me like playing in Ireland I was just getting heavier and heavier and heavier and I couldn't chase people people were running off me and yeah I, I was a left winger that started playing centre midfield to started playing defensive midfield just because I hadn't got the legs to get around but you know I laughed about it and made jokes about it but really it was just it was the drink catching me like that's all yeah how are you surviving at that point did you just have savings or yeah just living because off my savings I think if you're drinking every day it catches up on you yeah, I, as in money wise yeah I had about when I when I came back, I had about quarter of a million saved up. 
and I pissed it all up against the wall, like every last penny of it. Now look, I, I had holidays. Like fair play for being able to save that much, but then to piss. Yeah, up. well, I should have saved a lot more. Believe me, I should have been a lot more saved. But yeah, I did about a quarter of a million when I came back, and like a big bulk of that was the the promotion I got. I think it was about one hundred and seventy grand for being promoted. So okay. a lot of that was that. And yeah, I went on cruises, went to went to Vegas, went to Marbella, done all the things that. Probably most youngsters from the north in the city would do if they got a big lump sum of money. I pissed it all up against the wall and entertained women, stayed in hotels, did whatever I wanted. But yeah, it's uh, wasn't great, but good stories though. <laughs> I suppose so. But from your from your like, you you've obviously mentioned before like you had a sex addiction as well as, well as your um. I'm not gonna, were you an alcoholic? Yeah, yeah. You were okay. Um, so you had both of those things going on. And did she know that there was other women? Yeah, to, to be fair, my wife did. She. Uh, and is that not really difficult for her? Yeah, of course it was. Like, I can only imagine, you know. Yeah. The mind boggles when I try and put myself into her shoes of what she must have been thinking throughout this. It's uh, like I said, I, I really don't understand why she stayed around, but hugely, hugely thankful that she did and dug me out of a hole. And you know, obviously having Teddy was was a big part of me growing up as a person, and you know form and responsibility and you know it, it sort of just made me realize if i'm not going to be here for my kids who is and yeah it's both yeah leanne is a she's an absolute diamond and you know it's it's probably too simple to say but if leanne hadn't have helped me and hadn't have stuck around i'm fairly sure i'd be dead now so you know it's, it's black and white is that yeah jeez um but like from from what it sounds like i i I've, i i believe that everyone should find their leanne at some point I mean as a big compliment to her for what she's got like put up with um, and I think you'd probably admit that yourself yeah. like without kind of putting you down um, so is she the one that kind of says to you right look you've got a problem we have to fix it you know how did that talk go and then I suppose how does that lead into to life now for you well the she tried so many times to, like I say from when I when I finished in England to, to play my last game for, for Pats she was trying all the time to try and get me to go to therapy to she got me to go to hypnotherapy with the sex addiction and I would do enough to keep her you know what I mean she said you need to go to this and I'd go to it but I wouldn't really be yeah, engaged so she's jumping through hoops really she's jumping through hoops and I'm doing bits and bobs but not really ever wanting to stop drinking and then when with the sex addiction as well like like I said, I'd done hypnotherapy. I felt a little bit silly doing that. I didn't feel like it helped me. And then all of it, I was going from therapist to therapist to therapist just to try and keep Leanne happy. And then eventually I, I found this therapist called Evelyn uh, in the IFSC, an older woman. And I spoke with her a few times. And for some reason, it, it just came out. The, the alcohol, the sex addiction, it all just came out. And I, I started telling her everything and eventually my wife then came in and sat in in a session and uh, everything I said she already knew you know I thought I was bottling this stuff up and so she right. already knew she and, just needed to hear from you probably. yeah that that was that she she was always saying that to me Keith you know it's the not known if you did or if you didn't it's if you tell me you did I can deal with it. if you tell me you didn't mm -hmm. I can deal with it. but the grey area is the killer so yeah we I sort of done a like a full disclosure thing in therapy where I told her everything it was yes no yes no yes no and she got a lot of closure out of that and I think it helped me as well because all the lawyers inside me, you know, like I say, you're chasing yourself, you can't remember the lawyers, you're mentally you're so, so fragile and yeah, Leanne just, um, she just stuck it out and 
got through the bullshit with me and yeah I think she'll always say like Leanne now she was here she said you know I always knew there was a Keith was inside there somewhere but yeah there was an awful lot of shit to get through before she got me yeah you probably need to show that vulner vulnerability mm. I hope I said that right but uh, yeah. you know what I mean so then you knew then if you could lay that all out and she's still there for you after all the stuff that happened like she sounds like a pretty amazing person to have in your life yeah but like it, like I say about the thoughts like Leanne tried to get me to get help but I remember going for a bat one night and I, I felt the bat and I'm sitting in the bat and I'd no phone with me I'd no headphones usually I'd listen to something I'd watch a YouTube video or something and so just something to keep you just something yeah. to keep me thoughts away and I didn't have anything this time and I'm sitting there and I just remember looking at the water and I started crying and you know, you know when things just come in, you're like, oh God, I've sobered up here and everything was coming in on me. And it's probably I, a, a lot of anxiety built up. Yeah, a lot of everything. Just uh, depression, just, yeah, anxiety would have been a big one. And all the lawyers, you know, chasing yourself around the place all the time. And I remember, like, my wife heard me and she came in and I saw her to say to her, listen, I'm ready. I need help here. I'm, I'm mentally... You know, and that's the strange thing. It wasn't a physical thing. Although physically I couldn't run around the pitch anymore. It wasn't a physical thing, it was a mental thing. My mind just snapped and I thought I can't be going to bed with all these lies in the air and you know, struggling who's gonna text the phone next minute and blah blah. I was just living my life terrified and yeah, when 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 I let everything out and I told my wife and I, I I wanted help, yeah, things started to get better. It took about four years of therapy, but you know, once I once I be, I opened myself up to wanting help and needing help, it was uh it was a big part of it, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the key these days that a lot of people don't do it and, and now they're kind of getting to that point where they're hearing so many people, like people like yourself, who I'm sure young footballers would look up to as uh, maybe not the lifestyle you lived, but in terms of the way that you've turned it around. Whereas other people, like as I mentioned, Paul Gascoigne earlier on, like his, his career has gone yeah. down the drain because of his after, uh, after football life, kind of with, with drugs and stuff like that, seems to get help and then just again some story comes out where he's where he's, where he's, yeah. he's you know, broken his uh, alcohol uh, what's the word uh, where he just stopped drinking basically but he's gone back on it like so again he's kind of had a setback um, yeah, but even that like I, <clears throat> that can be very daunting you know for somebody who loves to gargle and like being in the pub was a, a big big part of my life but my wife never told me that the goal was to stop drinking. You know, it was always, oh, you know, well, if you miss it today, and you know, maybe miss one day on during the weekend. And like, I, I was captain of the darts team down in my local and everything. You know, I, I was fully invested in the pub. I loved it. There was any reason to get me out. I was in the pub, and I always felt like I was missing out. You know, if I was in the house, I felt like I'd oh, be throwing a party up in the pub. Like I'm gonna miss something, and. I don't know what it was. Eventually, the penny just dropped, and I remember sitting with the kids and. I just remember thinking, like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where the memories are made, not up in the fucking pub, you know. And even now, I'm five years, five years uh, this month, November, um, sober, but, you know, I still live my life thinking, you know, disaster's only ever a point away from me. So. You're actually over five years, because I think today's the first of December. Oh, sorry, yeah, so I'm over five years now, yeah, over five years. So, yeah, look, it's... Congrats. It's not, it, it really isn't easy, but, you know, nothing in life is, and... You know, they, like I say, with the family at home, and especially with Christmas, like I used to, as, as a footballer, I fucking hated Christmas. I was always alone, but now Christmas coming around, I love it with the family, and it's it's just all about making memories, and mm. you know, you don't and make Santa memories sitting on a, yeah. exactly, you're sitting on a on a fucking bar, still up in the pub, 
you know, make memories up there. Or not, not real memories anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, because there was so much in this, in your story that I actually never even got a chance to talk about Ireland, but I'm not going to now um, because I, I kind of want to finish up on how you're doing now. You're working on, uh, you're working in Virgin Media, that's how I met you properly, like, um, and then you're doing bits with RTE, uh, you're commentating, you're doing radio work and all that. So you seem to be, and you're coaching as well. So life seems to be going well for you. Um, you've got a nice family life and you've got your balance of your, you, you do your football stuff then on top of that. I know you do the LOI TV too. Yeah, like, I, re- I really enjoy it. It's um, Again, this was probably something that, you know, from the outset, I thought, I can't do that. I can't commentate on a game, you know. I, I can't analyse stuff. But my wife just grabbed the bull by the horns and she fired out like a blanket of emails to everybody. And we got we got one back from RTE saying, yeah, well, look, we can get you in on the radio and Virgin were nice enough to say, oh, we'll give you a co-commentary gig and see how you go. And yeah, it, it sort of got from strength to strength. But again, that was my wife because I was very much on the outside thinking, oh, I can't get in there, I won't get in there. And yeah, she, she chanced her arm and she pushed it and pushed it. And eventually we, we you know, we seem to be getting uh, little bits of work now. And hopefully in January, this is something I can, I can do full time because I'm sort of balancing it now with me bit of gardening. But yeah, I love it. And even the coaching with Pats on the 17s, although I love being on the pitch, I love, you know, doing passing drills, uh, crossing and finishing drills, defensive drills. I love all that stuff. But I love tapping into the players and just seeing where their heads are at. And it's very easy because, you know, at 17, when you turn up and if they're, if they're a little bit off it, it's quite obvious to see. And, you know, a lot of that is about stuff in the background. So if I can, if I can help a child, I wouldn't say family life, but if I can take his mind off that for a certain amount of time or whatever it is and just give him a little bit of break from you know whatever depression anxiety it is because you know Sean Dyche said to me not footballers everybody thinks they have perfect lives they don't have perfect lives off the pitch so sometimes you have to send the player out there knowing that you know there's family problems or it's not 100% but you have to put them through it and you know fans don't see that sort of stuff but you know for me if I can tap into a player's head and somehow help him out a little bit I'll even make them understand the game a little bit better, you know, and bring them on as a human being. That's that's the goal for me. Mm. Well, I think, I, I'm not saying it because you're sitting here, but I think you're one of the better uh, an, uh, analysts uh, within Irish football and I do enjoy your uh, commentary on games as well because I think you bring a different insight than, than some of the others, you know. Um, so I think in that, in that regard, I think that's why you're getting put on more and more gigs, you know. Um, and... I suppose there's a lot of players looking to get in there, so you kind of got in there at the right time. Yeah. Um. Because you get your your young a lot of stuff like the LOI TV, then you've got Virgin, then you've got RTE, um, the, the podcast, and then you're on the two FM uh, game on as well. So you're on pretty much a, a lot of things there. So I'd imagine if you're consistently doing that, then with a bit of luck, then in the new, in the new year you'll be doing that on the regular. Yeah. Well, look, that's as well the, as your coaching. That's that's the next aim, you know, is to try and pick it up and take it full time and. It's great. It's great to to get really involved in a football match and get get down into the stats and the, the statistics and how you can beat them, how they can beat them. Where's the where's the weak links? Where can you do that? But ultimately, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, I I analyze it. I I do everything to it, but the outcome means nothing to me. So it's great to be able to do that with no pressure because you know the pressure when you're actually playing it it's it's on your shoulders. But when you analyze these things, it it's there's an air of freeness to it and yeah. that I like and it's a different tactical side as well <clears throat> a lot of the 
a lot of the a- analytical stuff like the, the the jargon you would use when you're analyzing something would be the same jargon you use when you're coaching so they sort of marry into each other well so i think it's a good compliment to do both i suppose with the coaching then you're not really getting away from the modern game you know it's always changing like and there's always new stuff pats are quite good and they're producing a lot of good young players as well um are you ever fearful just you know i know you you've your mates with keith andrews and stuff like that so if you may be negative around ireland or something like that are you ever fearful that someone comes back and says give you because i know some people can be like that where they won't say it like we see it a lot with neville and roy Keane and that now and um, no, I think, look, me and Keith, me and Keith grew up together, uh, we played for the Irish B team, played for Blackburn together, and Keith Andrews, he he was in the media himself, yeah. so look at... But I he did hammer uh, a couple of Irish Yeah, he, he well, hammered a couple of people himself, and look, I think with footballers, we, we take things personally uh, quite a lot of the time, I know I did when I was playing most teams, if a manager didn't fancy me, I would take that personally, but these are just opinions, you know, if I think... Ireland should maybe go a little bit more direct or bypass the midfield because we haven't got the players in there. That's just my opinion, you know. I'm not having a personal attack on anybody. Yeah. It's just my opinion, and I think Keith understands that. I'm sure Stephen Kenny understands that as well. And look, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. That's all we are. We're all human beings. And I'll shake Stephen's hand, Keith's hand, give them a hug. I want them to win every single game because I'm an Irish fan. But you know, I'm also getting paid to analyse it and. You know, if give you have your to opinion, as Roy critique, said, critique, critique, yeah, I'm here to give me opinion. <laughs> yeah, you see that, Keith? I do, yeah. It, yeah. So, yeah, I suppose we'll leave it at that. I mean, we're an hour and a half in there, so it flew by, despite me being um, half an hour uh, keeping you earlier on. But listen, Keith, thanks very much for your time. I really enjoyed that, and I'm sure the listeners uh, will as well. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, let us know your thoughts in the comments if you're watching it on YouTube. Don't forget to like the video and subscribe if you're listening on podcast. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and, uh, yeah, please give it a share. We'll speak to you all soon. Thanks for watching.